be seated. As uh, Reverend Alex mentioned, we're continuing in our series through the book of Jonah. We're spending 10 weeks on this book with only four chapters. Uh, so we get an opportunity to really dive deep into what God is saying to us through this book. And the message of the book, as our series might indicate, is not about a whale. Jonah is not about just a children's story we tell to our kids uh, that's cute and, uh, and something really interesting. But Jonah is about the forgiveness of God, the unbounded, the limitless, the unstoppable forgiveness and love and mercy of God. And as Reverend Alex said last week, I think it's worth stating again for us that forgiveness is something that is unique to Christianity, that there is no other religion in the world that has at the core of its gospel, the core of its message, that God forgives because God loves. This is something that is unique. When you're thinking and talking to other people about what makes Christianity so special, it's that God forgives sins because he loves, not because of anything that we do, but because he has done the work for us on the cross. God forgives because God loves. And so as we look and dive into the book of Jonah, we see more and more of the heart of God to forgive. And we come and encounter our hearts that are sometimes hardened against that forgiveness as Jonah's was. So as we turn to our passage in Jonah chapter 1, uh, just to kind of go through what's happening here really quickly. Jonah is fleeing from his task. He has heard his, ta his call, his commission. God has said, go to Nineveh and proclaim his word to them. And Jonah runs in the other direction, fleeing as far as he can to Tarshish, which may or may not be Cornwall. Uh, Alex insists that it is. And that's my boss, so yes, it is Cornwall. <laughs> and not only is Jonah fleeing from the task, it says that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. This phrase is repeated three times in, in our seven verses here, that he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And we'll come back to what that means. But God sends after him this massive storm and calling him to repent by hurling the wind and the waves, threatening to tear this ship apart, as if God is using all of creation to yell at Jonah and saying, turn around, repent, begging him to do what he's been called to do. Even speaking through the ship's captain, this pagan mariner who comes to Jonah, says, wake up, rise and pray, seek your God, maybe he will be able to help us. Not knowing that it actually is Jonah's God that will be able to, um, to stop this storm. But God is even here speaking through a pagan, uh, a ship's captain who doesn't know God, who doesn't know that he's being used to speak God's word. And it strikes me, how often does God speak through the unwilling and the unaware? As Christians, sometimes we should be alarmed by this. If God is speaking through the world to us and reminding us of our call. You know, if Kanye West is proclaiming Jesus as king louder than the church is, I think we've got a problem. 
But even so, with this call, Jonah doesn't pray. Jonah doesn't seek God. He can't turn to his God in the midst of his open rebellion. But he's still found out. He's found out by them casting lots, by them discovering that this is all because of Jonah. That he's been hiding from God, hiding his identity, and then he's found out. When he's discovered, he he utters this religious mumbo-jumbo saying that he's a Hebrew, that he fears the Lord who made the the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. He's trying to hide behind his religiosity while still hiding from God, still trying to hold on to a shred of dignity and respectability by saying he's someone because he fears the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. But everything that he's doing undermines that confession. His confession is worthless when all of his actions are pointing in the opposite direction. What I find really interesting about Jonah is that there's a real obstinance to his character that's revealed through this. That his heart has been hardened because he knows exactly what's expected of him. He knows exactly what God has called him to, and he's seeing around him all these signs of God's displeasure, but he's ignoring it, choosing instead to take a nap in the bowels of the ship. Unlike Jesus, who took a nap in the midst of a storm on a ship because he knew he was in charge. He trusted in the God who made the wind and the waves, and he stilled them. Jonah is not trusting God. He's ignoring God, and he sleeps. He'd rather die than repent here. He even asked the the ship's crew to throw him overboard rather than turn and face God. This is a man who knows God, who knows his heart, who knows his purposes, who knows his desire to forgive Jonah's enemies. And he runs. He runs in the opposite direction, away from the heart and the purpose and the nature of God. His hatred of Nineveh, his resentments against them were so strong that it led him, it drove him to flee from the very presence of the Lord. So let's return to that phrase, the presence of the Lord. Because it's repeated three times in our seven verses here. And when you're reading scripture, you see that kind of repetition over and over again. That's the authors, that's God trying to get our attention. And saying, look at what's happening here. Look at what I'm saying here. Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And for us, it seems obvious that Jonah's trying to do something impossible. Like, God is everywhere. The theological word is that he is omnipresent. He is present in all places and in all times. He has no bounds or limitations like we have in our physical bodies. God does not have a physical body. He's everywhere. He is present everywhere. And how can you run from him? How can you escape him? It's, it's like trying to flee from the force of gravity which holds our universe together. You know, depending on where you are in the universe, you feel its effects more strongly. If you're in space, you feel gravity less. If you're on Jupiter, you'd feel gravity so much that it would crush you. But you can't escape from a force like that that holds all the universe together. Now, God is not like gravity. 
not as a force, not as a power, but he is a person. He is a personal God. He has a heart. He has a character. He has a nature and a purpose for us. And he is everywhere. We cannot escape from him. So what does it mean for us to be in the presence of the Lord? What does it mean that Jonah is trying to flee from it? So when we read the presence of the Lord, in Hebrew, what we're actually reading is a translation of a Hebrew idiom. And the literal, the literal Hebrew words are before the face of the, the Lord. Fleeing from before the face of the Lord or being before the face of the Lord is how we translate, uh, we translate it to be in the presence of the Lord. So it's a Hebrew idiom that we read uh, when we're reading that in English. And this ancient idea of being in the presence of the Lord, of being before the face, is rooted in this face-to-face -face relationship. Because looking into someone's face, you can know more of their heart, of their soul, of their character. To be in the presence of the Lord is to be in this kind of a face-to-face, -face, more intimate relationship in which we put ourselves before him in full view of his face, which, to be honest, is a vulnerable place to be. We're exposed. We've got nothing to hide behind when we're in full view of God's face. We are fully known. All our flaws, all our sins, all our shortcomings. We put ourselves before God and we are fully exposed before him. And the way that God, the scripture talks about God's face is really fascinating. Because the face of God can kill you and it will bless you. The face of God will wreck your life and it will save you. In Psalm 80, the psalmist implores God over and over again to shine the light of your face upon us that we might be saved. Number six, the blessing of Aaron asks that the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. It blesses, it saves the light from the face of God. But on the other hand, God told Moses that no one could look upon his face and live. And so he shows Moses his backside. Isaiah cries out, woe is me, for I am a sinner, when he sees the face of God. Jacob is in awe when he spends the night wrestling with God. He says, I have seen the Lord face to face, and yet I live. Throughout the scriptures, when people are put in this position of being before the face of God, they are both wrecked, but also saved face of God will destroy but also bless and that's the position that we were made to be in this is the relationship that we were made for to be before the presence of the Lord before his face in an intimate and trusting way where the old parts of us are destroyed our lives can be ripped apart and wrecked because God wants to undo us and then build us back up again and save us in the light of the glory of his face before the face of the Lord is where we are most exposed, but where we know the most love. So while in one sense it's impossible for us to escape the presence of the Lord who is everywhere, 
it is possible for us to hide ourselves, to refuse to come before the face of the Lord, to refuse to know his presence here with us. Did you know it's even possible to be sitting in church, listening attentively to a sermon and singing great songs, and yet be hiding from the presence of the Lord? I'm willing to bet some of us probably are today. This is what Jonah was doing in hiding from the presence of the Lord, of fleeing from before his face, refusing to acknowledge this relationship and the God who has called him, running from God's heart for him and for the lost. And we have to ask why. Why is Jonah running? His heart was so hardened against Nineveh that it drove him to flee from the presence of the Lord. His heart was so resentful, so full of hatred and prejudice against this nation, this city that, that oppressed and destroyed and killed his people, Israel. He knows that God desires to forgive and to have compassion, but Jonah instead chose to live in his own self-righteous superiority and his own resentment against this city that is so hated, so despised, the Cleveland of the Middle East. <laughs> Jonah runs. He flees in the opposite direction from the face of God, the heart of God, a relationship with God because of his resentment. And Jonah is showing us, God is showing us through Jonah that our relationship with others, our attitude towards other people directly affects our relationship with God. Our posture towards others will always impact our posture towards God. These are interconnected and inseparable to love God is to love people. To love people is to love God. To hate people is to hate God. To resent people is to spit in the face of the God who desires to forgive and to love and to extend compassion to them. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, that if we're going to worship at the temple, to leave your offerings, to leave your gift before the altar, and to go instead and be reconciled first. To make peace with someone you have conflict with before you come to worship. It's that important that we be reconciled to one another. That we have peace among each other as we go to worship. That's why in our, in our liturgy we have the passing of the peace before communion every Sunday. That we have this time where you shake seven people's hands and then you sit back down. It's a symbolic but actually very real gesture of blessing each other with peace, of desiring reconciliation and peace among the body as we come to the Lord's table together. That's important. That matters to God. Jonah's resentments were driving him from the, before the face of the Lord. So I would ask, what are your resentments costing you? How are your resentments keeping you from before the face of the Lord? Resentments are when we 
hold on to feelings of anger or indignation because it feels good to have something that builds up my sense of superiority, that, that I'm right and they're wrong. When someone has, has wronged me or humiliated me or snubbed me, at least I have the fact that they were wrong and I am right. And if I can just make this the big thing about that relationship, that can feel good. But resentment is a poison to our soul. It seeps in and infects and it feeds all the evil and fallen parts of our nature that are already working to pull us away from the presence of God. If resentments are left unchecked in our hearts and our souls, they can become so ingrained in our hearts, our personality, our character, our way of viewing the world, that it can be really painful to get rid of them. It feels like they're part of us. Psychologists have shown how resentment can so easily lead to depression and anxiety and an intense unhappiness with the world. And that's because our resentments are keeping us back from the presence of the Lord, which is our only life, our only satisfaction, our only peace. Jonah resented what the people of Nineveh did to his people. And he held on to that grudge. He made it a core part of his identity, stronger than the call of God on his life. And it changed the course of his life for the worse. So what resentments are you holding on to that are keeping you from drawing near to God? Maybe a boss that shamed you, a peer that was better than you, a friend that snubbed you. There are real and deep hurts among us and in our lives. And they can build up resentments in our hearts if we leave them unchecked. But if we are to truly come before the presence of the Lord, seeing him face to face, knowing his heart of compassion and forgiveness, we can't hold on to these things anymore. We have to let them go. We have to give them up to God. And forgiveness is the antidote for this. Forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness means saying that it's not as important for me to be right or to feel superior as it is for me to love as God loves. Forgiveness is very difficult and a lot of times a long process for us. But with the grace of God as the foundation of our lives and our identities, knowing how much God has forgiven us when we least deserved it, through that we have the grace the power to forgive. We have confidence to do it, not in ourselves, but confidence in the God who forgives us. Because in Jesus, God shows us his heart to forgive and to save, to heal and reconcile. And he has forgiven us when we least deserved it. Romans says that while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. And it's on the cross that we are shown our own path to the forgiveness of our sins. That we're shown the terrible price that Jesus paid so that our sins could be forgiven. 
and that we can be reconciled to God. It's through receiving and believing in that gift that Jesus has given to us that we come face to face with God, that we come into his presence and have that relationship. And it's through that relationship that we have the power to forgive others. It cannot happen apart from the cross. Many of you probably saw this last week in the news, uh, the story and the video that went around on the internet of the sentencing hearing for the former cop, Amber Geiger in Dallas, who shot a black man in his own apartment. She was found guilty and sentenced, and there was opportunity for victim impact testimonies at the sentencing hearing. And the victim's brother, Brant John, gave a testimony and said to the woman who had killed his brother that he forgave her, that he loved her, didn't want anything bad to happen to her, and he asked her to turn to Christ and receive his forgiveness. And then in a really beautiful and profound moment, he asked the judge if he could give her a hug, and he hugged her, and this former cop who had killed this man's brother sobbed in his arms because she knew she was getting forgiveness that she didn't deserve. Now, Brant, this, this man, is 19 years old and a true disciple of Jesus. He said, I'm doing this because God loves you and I love you. Forgiveness is not something that is deserved, but that is given out of love. And this was a a beautiful picture for us, I think, as the church, of what God does to us. This was a moment that that does not undo injustice. It does not negate or absolve us of systemic racism and injustices that still persist. But it was a beautiful moment of forgiveness from one person to another. Forgiveness that was undeserved and unasked for. And that is what we are called to, to extend the forgiveness of God, even when people don't deserve it. So why did God pick Jonah for this task? Why did he ask Jonah to forgive? When God knew that Jonah's heart was so hardened, so resentful against Nineveh, that he would run in the other direction. God knew that. God still asked Jonah. Why did he ask him to forgive? Well, why does God ask us to forgive? To let go of deeply held resentments and ways that we've been wrong and our worldviews that we hold so closely to us, so much a part of our identity that to, to let go of them would be like ripping apart our soul, our sense of self. Why would God ask you to do that? Because God knows that's the only way to save you. By looking to the cross, by seeing Jesus' life ripped apart so that you could be saved, so that your sins could be forgiven in him. God picked Jonah for this because he's picked you for this. He chose the most obstinate of prophets because he needs to speak to the most obstinate of hearts. 
We were made to live in and dwell in and enjoy the presence of the Lord, beholding him face to face and finding there our only satisfaction, our only peace, our only joy. This is God's heart for you and I. This is his desire for us. And if you are running from that, hiding in your resentments and prejudices, turn to him. Give those resentments over to God, laying them at the foot of the cross. And there find your freedom and your peace. Amen.